Welcome to the Two Top Podcast, the weekly podcast where we go over different topics in the world. I'm your host, Thomas Lance, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Berg. How's it going? You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Make sure to follow us on Twitter to stay updated on the latest episodes. Now let's dive right into this week's episode of Two Top. Let's just start from the top. Yeah, from the top. Who are we? What are we doing here? (laughs) All right. Well, we got to start it the classic way. You're here with Matt. You're here with Thomas. We're the Two Top Podcast, and we got some topics here today. You know, we really make you think about the little things that may have slipped into the back of your head or stuff that you may see every day but not realize what it does. Or it's history. But today, I just want to dive right into what I wanted to talk about. And uh, talking about obscure things that might be sitting in the back of your head, a question that you might have that you never seem to ask yourself is, what is going on in Chernobyl these days? Ah, nuclear radiation. Nuclear radiation at the largest, saddest nuclear accident in our recent history. Actually, all of history. But Chernobyl, on April 26, 1986, radio a radioactive accident 10 times bigger than Hiroshima occurred within the Soviet Union. Uh, 35,000 people were forced to evacuate the nuclear exclusion zone, and no one's allowed to live in that zone since. The issue was that the reactor was made solely out of concrete and no steel, and they were doing a test to test out the systems to really force it, and there was a mechanical failure, and since this chamber was only made out of concrete with no rebar, like, structuring it. You know, when you see a construction go up today... You get the metal grid rebar to hold it, yeah. Because there's no connection, when it melted down, it completely blew up. Now, this was... Chernobyl was actually still in construction at the time. That was the fourth reactor that went off, and the fifth one is still being built around that time. The fourth one was complete, though. The fourth one was complete, and they were running some tests on it. Okay, obviously the test failed. Yes, so... Terribly. Nuclear stuff is sad because think of all this peop- all these people who had to be displaced. All around the, like a 100-mile radius, they were forced to evacuate and leave due to the nuclear fallout because dust was thrown into the air and then sails out, and, well, you can get crazy mutations, sickness. But it's been 30 years since then, a little over 30 years, now, 32 years, I believe, now. And you start to wonder, it's when will we ever go back? Now, the met- the uranium that they use is cesium-136, and it's one of the most potent ones. So this meltdown really is going to last a long time with a half-life of over 100 years that this area might not be inhabited by people. And the thing is, people might not be able to inhabit it, but it has now become one of the... Asia's largest animal sanctuaries because there's no wow. there's no poaching there's no hunting the problem is there's some radiation and that's kind of what I wanted to focus on today the wildlife's return to Chernobyl now it's been as I said it's been over 30 years since the accident and nature is coming back to the area the towns and the spaces that have been reclaimed by nature all this has been happening because of the lack of human involvement Humans aren't going in, rebuilding sites, daily use, keeping maintenance on the streets, the buildings. The plants are just taking over and the animals are roaming through. Now, the thing is, a lot of these animals, the larger prey, 
and some animals hunted for their furs, they don't have their biggest predator, humans, to hunt them down. So they're growing in numbers. Uh, an actual a type of horse, the wild Prizowekasta. Uh, priz, Prizowekasta? I think. Horses, they actually have come back in larger number. And they were actually on the verge of extinction. So the fact that they have somewhere to safe, somewhere to call home with no human involvement has actually helped them grow their numbers. But there's a lot of debate about leaving these animals in these areas because we are letting them get subjugated to nuclear fallout, nuclear radiation. Yeah, I was going to say there's probably some side effects to these. Whether I mean, whether that's shorter lifespans, death, but maybe they're getting mutations, you know? Like, uh, I know a lot of fictional accounts have, have made up scenarios where they, you know, you get mutant creatures running around. Is that is that the case? Yes. So what's actually going on right now is right right when the accident happened within the first couple of years, that was when you saw the major mutations, like the deer with six legs, uh, a goat that has legs coming out of its neck. These crazy mutations, they happened within the first couple of years. Now, nowadays there are some stuff there is radiation, and it's more minor things that are affecting the animals. Like, there's normally bacteria found within birds' wings that are, like, help. It's like a symbiotic relationship with the birds. But due to the radiation, there's less bacteria in the, on these birds. And there's less nutrients in some other animals, like the wolves. Because what happens is wolves eat voles, and voles eat mushrooms. And mushrooms are pretty much radiation sponges in the natural world. So wolves are eating voles, and voles are eating concentrated amounts of radiation in these mushrooms. Thus, the wolves are eating radiation. Radiation. It it just goes down the chain of animals. That's interesting. Wow. Yes. So what what are the results of this? Are are wolves being killed? Just the example of wolves. I mean, I'm sure there's other animals. So they are being infected with radiation, obviously, but that doesn't mean instant death. The radiation that they're dealing with, they've almost come to adapt to it. It's not perfect. They don't live as long as lifespans, but they're able to survive still in this area. The problem now becomes these animals leaving the exclusion zone. Like wolves are actually more on the safe side when it comes to these animals. The Natural Geographic article I read focused mainly on the wolves, the fact that they have such a large hunting area that most of their prey is caught outside this nuclear radiation zone so they're not taking in as much radiation as maybe the deer that's feeding on all the wildlife and the plants in the area so different animals are feeling different effects into different amounts but they're all getting infected with radiation now the thing is it's illegal to poach hunt or fish in the area because of the said risk of getting radiation for humans so it's the idea of, well, if you're going to fish on in these areas, you're going to get, there's a good chance that you're going to get a radioactive fish. And a radioactive fish in your body is going to lead to problem, problems, lots of problems. Maybe cancer, you don't, yeah, maybe you don't want, disease, you know. So it's a major problem for that area. And it's all because of man's man's lack of intelligence when it comes to nuclear stuff at the time i mean this is 86 i mean things have changed since then and sometimes you need a terrible example to learn from and chernobyl is definitely one of the more negative things to come out of the nuclear race and nuclear power 
And it's kind of sets a bad eye for the whole nuclear power situation. Because nuclear power is, I mean, if you don't include the fact that you're putting a radioactive rock in the ground when you're done with it, it's relatively clean in compared to burning coal because the things you get off are just the steam from the cooling of the uh, the, 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 the reactor. Mm-hmm. But there's such a high risk with radiation. It's not as high as a risk as people think, but because of just one accident is enough for people to go, hey, maybe nuclear reactors aren't the best way. So I think personally, I think nuclear energy is a great example. I mean, I recently was on a submarine in uh, up on the Delaware River, an old diesel submarine, and they were talking about how they were they only were able to run the diesel engines when they were above water because you need oxygen for those engines. And then they were talking about nuclear. Then they moved to nuclear submarines, and nuclear submarines can go for long periods of time because they don't need the, the same oxygen the diesel engines need. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they still use nuclear engines on submarines and big ships. Yes, and they're actually they're so. always trying to advance maybe nuclear reactors and nuclear engines into space travel because mm-hmm. large quantities of energy can be used in traveling through space that maybe the whole idea of nuclear stuff has such a negative connotation that we kind of need to step back and look at it in a more positive light because you look at Hiroshima and the weapons and the whole politics even of nuclear holocausts could be one button away so maybe we have to think of all the positives that we can get of extended space travel power for the masses instead of focusing on the negative aspects of Chernobyl accidents of Hiroshima but we also learn a lot that maybe even if something were to go bad nature a nature always finds a way and nature is now chilling in Chernobyl they're getting a little radiation they're not the best i think it's interesting that that the nuclear radiation gets passed down by the food chain if yes. the mushrooms are absorbing it then the the what did you say what do you, what eats the, the mushrooms vole. the it's voles like and then the wolves yeah. eat the voles and that's really interesting because that means it could spread you know exponentially outside of the ranges of chernobyl it could go right. into other ukrainian towns i guess you know the problem is with all this is people people are wise but animals we can't control we can't tell animals hey don't go there that's instinct they yes. do it yeah animals will do what animals want and we kind of just have to let that happen. We can't just close the whole area off. But as I said, this is now a sanctuary. Animals going endangered are now finding safe haven there because there's no predators from humans. So these these races are thriving, like you said, the the race of the the breed of horses. The breed of horses, but back. not only just horses are coming back in numbers. Beaver populations are rising up. Wolf populations are rising up. All these smaller animals that seemed irrelevant or may have been highly poached for their furs, are now coming back in numbers because Chernobyl's a safe place for them. The beavers are cutting down trees, and that's how you know that this ecosystem is thriving. So, maybe Chernobyl, it was negative in the beginning, and who knows if those families will ever be able to go back to those homes. But the, maybe it's time to give that area back to nature. 
I'd love to go visit it sometime. I would also. And I, I know there's plenty of YouTube uh, videos of people exploring and doing different experiments, especially I saw some on there were some like exotic hunting excursions you could take there, which I think is very illegal. It's somewhere it's up obviously there on the illegal chain, yeah. <laughs> and and how the animals are reacting. Now, here's a question for you. Do you think if Chernobyl never happened, what what would the rest of the world look like? Do you think that huge disaster was just kind of it set a set a limit to what I think mankind it, was working on? I think we would be a little bit more open to nuclear power. But then again, we did also have the was it the nine islands or oh yeah oh seven mile island seven mile island accident yeah. as well so it's it's these things it's like pl- something that's completely safe until it's not so like airplanes are safe until one crashes and then you start to think of well where are the safety measures we need to do to improve so the negative things do come back and help us so maybe an accident was needed in order for us to really tighten up regulations and make sure everything works before we even test something. And well, that's how human is. We learn from our mistakes. But that's why I have about the nuclear lands off in Russia. And what do you have? Well, it's cool you're talking about some nuclear radiation because obviously you're working with some some wave wavelengths there, gamma rays, x-rays. You know it. All the explosions. That relates to mine. So we're going to talk a little bit about light. But this is specific because I want to I wanna pose a question to you, Thomas. So you know about the tree falling in the woods, correct? Did you hear about it? No. Do you think other people heard about the tree hey, falling in the woods? If a tree falls in the wood and if anybody's around to hear it, does Do, it make a sound? Does it make a sound? What, what's your opinion on that? Well, yeah, it makes a sound. It makes a sound. <laughs> okay, we're we're sticking to the the scientific properties of sound and the movement of air and and yeah, the compression and everything. And it's a physical property, correct? Is that yeah. is that how you see it? Absolutely. So here's here's my second question. This has to do about light. If if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it or see it, does it fall in color? Okay, Matt, you're now getting a little a little too deep with your questions these times. <laughs> it's pretty it's a pretty deep question, right? I mean, is light, is it necessary to have some sort of eye and sensor to receive light? And without that sensor, is light non-existent? Is it simply just existent to humans? Is light something that we perceive through our eyes? Yeah, because light, I'm going to go into depth here, but it's just reflected wavelengths off of different surfaces and objects that produce different lengths of waves. So we perceive different colors on the visible spectrum of the rainbow, you know, RG, whatever. So it's like how in time and space, time is relative. Light is also relative. Exactly. In a sense. Yeah. All right. All right. It's, it's deep. But do you think it's just, does anything happen when no one's watching it? That's a good question. That's um Schrodinger's cats. The idea of if something happens in a box and you can't see what's in the box, there's almost two two outcomes it's here something happens or so, something doesn't so if a tree falls without I color that. i love that do we see do we see the tree no one's there to witness it so until we witness it we won't know if it fell in color or fell without so yeah there's always a chance what do you think do you think that do, are you going to stick to your scientific properties similar to the sound does it make a sound you say yes i also say yes i mean I, 
I believe it's yes, but it's an interesting question to think about because of how light is perceived. And like in cameras and photo sensors, light is, in a, it's a wavelength, similar to how your microwave oven is a wavelength, similar to how an x-ray is a, wa- uh, a wavelength. So in a sense, we could be cooking our food with light rays. We can but. Yeah, and absolutely we are. And I'm going to explain there's there's different wavelengths that go certain ways. There's X-ray, gamma rays, and then light rays, and, and radio wave, like frequencies. And we experience them all, but the eye can only pick up on the, on the light waves. That's why we can't see radio waves. That's why we can't see infrared. infrared light coming off your body if you're warmer than something around you. Imagine if we could see all of those properties. I would find that kind of... I feel like it would be over, almost overwhelming to see it all at once because a lot of times you can see what's crazy about light is if you look at the window is a good example. If you're standing on the other side of this glass wall behind me, I will see you with visible light. But if I use infrared, I will not see you. I'll just see the pane of glass. Exactly. It's completely covering up. That's, and it's if our eyes were to only see an infrared light, we wouldn't be able to see half the things we see now. Exactly. It's it's really interesting because light, it's it's very limiting, but also it's without the the very limited light rays that we can see, our worlds would be completely different. I mean, you have to look at x-rays as well. It's like you have your gamma rays, which can cause harm. You have your x-rays, which can f- go through skin and you can see bone structure, but then you go down to, I think then it's light. And then you hit infrared, I think is an even longer wavelength in the red spectrum. Absolutely. And okay, so the smaller the nanometers, the more bluish purple indigo the the light is going to be. The shorter or the The longer? The shorter and smaller wavelengths. Okay, okay. The wider it is, the more orange, yellow, and red it is. So that, that has to do with visible light. So you're seeing different speeds of light. So that makes me think, do you do you take in different colors faster than others? That explains why some colors are more vibrant than others, obviously. So like if I saw, if I was looking at something very far away, and I mean, light travels at a ridiculous length. Light speed is a measure we use to measure the galaxies. Absolutely. But the speed of light, if blue travels fa- slower than uh, red, or is it the other way around? Um, you're gonna see the the faster wavelengths are the are the blue and indigo. So that's like the idea of there's a blue car and a red car that quickly turn the corner. Do I see? Does my I know your mind can't think that fast, but if it could, would it see the blue car before it saw the red car? That's a really interesting concept. Now, because it's speed of light is so fast. That's never going to be a problem to the human eye. I mean, it's just going to pick them up at the same time. No, that's like if, uh, but it makes you think because what if you increase the distance on everything? Like if I say I can run 10 miles per hour and you can run 15 miles per hour, but we only run 10 feet, it's hard to tell the difference. But if you say the star, the sun is blue and the sun is red and it takes eight minutes to get to us, maybe the sun is blue for a couple yeah. seconds before it looks red. Exactly. And we could never know. No, so maybe these wavelengths do affect more than we think. And it's all just a sense of reference, a sense of scale, a sense of relativity, relativity similar to time and space. So, 
You're absolutely right when you were talking about um, gamma rays and uh, let's see, gamma rays and X rays, hmm. X rays also and infrared. Wa- they're they're on they're the um they're longer wavelengths than I, than light waves. Okay. So let me find. Uh, so X rays range in wavelengths from about 0.01 to 10 nanometers, and they're about the size of an atom. Um, 0.01 nanometers per wave wavelength for the shortest wavelength, which are gamma rays. Gamma rays, huh? Yes. Radio waves can be huge. They can be up to uh, miles wide. Yeah, when I think radio waves, I think of those are the longest waves, I believe. Yeah. But you know it would be funny? What if you took your favorite song on the radio and you compressed it down into light? You know what? There are, I mean, that's total like physics classroom experiment that the yeah. teacher would have you do. I mean- I guess thinking back to high school physics, we used to do some experiments. We used to use light meters that could pick up on the visible spectrum, and it shows you the different wavelengths yeah, that you spe- get off reflected and how it changes. Spectrograph, that's it. Yeah. and do you remember that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's um the different elements give off different uh, measurements on a spectrograph, and you can line those up like how these light bulbs above us are giving off different light than the sun. Now... That would be an interesting science experiment because, like, is mis- is the song Mr. Blue Sky, is it blue? Because that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> you know what? We could do a follow-up about that. But I guess if you compress it down, I guess, though, it's subjective because if you're compressed down to the light spectrum, if you compress it only a little bit, I mean, we're talking nanometers, it could be blue, but if you compress it more, it'd be red. I don't know if you can change the actual property of the wavelengths. I think they're set to whatever they are. Just the duration of them would change, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I'm overthinking that's this. Not, that's something very – it's difficult to think about because it's so small, and it's, and it's converting some one a physical property to a different physical property. Well, because, Yet it's already there. Well, because that's how um, – there's a lot of things that go into a wavelength. You have your amplitude and your um, – yeah, wavelength and amplitude. Yes. So you might have a radio wave, and if you increase it more, it's not going to get shorter. It's going to get stronger, giving it a larger amplitude, a larger range, more power to it. So I don't even think it's possible to compress a radio wave into a light wave. But it's a good thing to think about. It makes you think. Absolutely. Because what if that sound in the forest, what if that tree fell so hard it gave off a bit of light? That would be something. Maybe so. You know, and this is all. these are all natural properties too. Isn't that insane? That does, this just happens. Yeah, vibrations in the air. So that kind of that kind of supports my idea that yeah, it does it does fall in color because color is a physical thing. It's it's rays moving through the air. So even if no one's there, there's still rays moving through the air. Right. Um, there's actually um, so according to physicsclassroom.com, color can be thought of as a psychological and physiological response to light waves of a specific frequency or set of frequencies. Um, impinging upon the eye so it's psychological and physiological well i understand so it's an idea and it's a thing that makes sense because think of people who are colorblind they they see color differently from us they might see color on a completely different spectrum their green is not our green their red is not our red but that could also be between you and me i was just gonna say my blue how do i know it's the exact same shade of blue that we're looking at you know that's something i always think about and I mean, there's signs to prove that we might be that we're probably wrong. But what if we're not? What if your red is not my red and your blue is not my blue? The one thing that we know is our whites are the same and our blacks are the same. 
or are they? Are they? Is my white a slightly off white? But I think I think when no, it comes to black and white, it's yeah. just purely reflected. Art. No, it's it's a specific, a very specific wavelength when something is pure white. Correct. If something is pure, if something is pure white, it's all the colors, I believe, and black is okay. the lack of color. That makes sense. Yes. Because uh, you know, when you take a prism, you split visible visible light into a spectrum, and then if it's dark, it's white. Dark goes in and the visible spectrum comes out. Yeah. It's like the Pink Floyd record cover. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and black it. has to be the lack of light because otherwise darkness wouldn't be dark, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. There we go. I, I agree. So the only reason we can perceive these rays, the visible light spectrum, is because of the back of the eye, the retina is lined with a bunch of light-sensing cells known as rods and cones. Rods. So while the rods and cones on the retina are sensitive to the intensity of light, the cones are the ones that decide what colors get interpreted by the brain. So there are six or seven million cones, and they're mostly in about, uh, it's like 0.3 millimeters, like a spot. That's that small on the back of your eye. Um, and it's called the fovea centralis, and that's where all the color information gets sent to your brain. And the more you know. Exactly. So that's the only reason we pick up on these rays. I mean, if our if our human bodies didn't have well, that, you can't feel rays. You can't hear rays. These these cells pick up. They absorb the rays and translate it into our brain into these images of what life is in front of you. Show you images of what Chernobyl looks like. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe there's a tree falling in the woods at Chernobyl. I guarantee there is because there's a Those population beavers. of beaver. Yeah, they're <laughs> knocking down trees, but hey. Do they make a sound? Do they make light? I don't know. But, you know, I'm sure someone can find that out for Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Think about it to our listeners. Tell us what you think. Good. That's it? Yeah, that's it. All right, guys. Well, that's two whole topics for you. The whole a brief history of Chernobyl and the animals that live there now and the light spectrum and what you can do with it. But, hey, those were some two topics, and we got two more for you next week. See you next time. See ya. Wow, that was a really cheesy outro. I <laughs> Adios. Think, yeah, I think we'll just leave our regular outro in there. <laughs> See you guys. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Berg and produced by Thomas Lance. Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and join us next week for another Two Topics.